turn your Bibles to Psalm 130. We're continuing the songs for singing on the way to the church. It's the psalms mentioned in the book of Psalms, 15 psalms they would have sung on the way up to the temple. Three times a year they would all go to the temple and they would kind of fall in together in the road, in the highway, if you can picture it, all of them carrying their wagons of offerings and sacrifices and they'd all file in together on the way up the mountain. It's an upward climb, a couple of miles uphill, steep climb, going to God's house. And these are the songs they would have sung, the songs mentioned in the Psalms as the songs of ascent, the songs climbing upward. Today we're looking at Psalm 130. Title of this message, Why Does God Not Answer My Prayers? Uh, we'll read it in just a minute, and when we do, I want you to pay attention to what is being said but not said. What's being said but not said in Psalm 130 is God has not answered their prayer. Uh, I, I was thinking about it this week. Maybe it was something like this. Maybe they went to the temple in the spring, and while they were there, they prayed a prayer to ask God to do something. And now they're coming back to the temple in the fall, from the fall harvest, and that prayer hasn't been answered yet. And they're, they're on the way back up to God's house, and they're thinking about what they prayed last time they were there, and they're going there again, and they're still praying the same prayer from the last time, and it still hasn't been answered. And so maybe that could be a, a season, or it could even be years. I've shared with you on numerous occasions that I have prayers that I've been praying for some months now that God hasn't answered. I have some prayers that I have prayed for more than a year now that God hasn't answered, and I have I have one particular prayer. I've been praying for more than 20 years. But God still has an answer. And so the, the cry of Psalm 130 is, God, why haven't you answered my prayers? Let's look at it. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He starts out in verse 1 as a cry. He says, I have cried from the depths to you, O Lord. The word depths here is a reference to, uh, to the ocean, literally. If you could uh, imagine back in those days, war was scary, battle was scary. They would hem their cities in with high walls. But I think in those days, one of the most fearful things was to cross the vast ocean in a boat made out of wood. <laughs> if you can imagine crossing the ocean, if you've been to the beach lately or looked across the ocean as far as you can see, if you can imagine being out there just in a small boat, you know, that's one thing. I can imagine being out there in a small bass boat or a small sea boat, maybe. But, but a wooden boat that I built... <laughs> That's another thing. That's a, that's a scary thing. To imagine being in the depths is, is the picture he wants you to be, not even in a boat, just being out there by yourself 
surrounded by ocean. The picture here is despair. He says, in the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. It's a person who's praying out to God from deep despair. They can't see any, anything around them except the depths of their own despair. For some people, their despair is sickness. For some people, their despair is loneliness. For some people, their despair has something to do with being hurt or broken in some way. The thing about being in the depths of despair is many times people don't know you're there. People around you don't know you're there. Sometimes your own spouse don't know you're there. Sometimes your own parents don't know you're there. You're in the depths of despair and you're hopeless and helpless and alone. And in the place of despair, you have one place to cry, one place to cry out and one person to cry out to, and that is God. He says, I've been crying to you, Lord, from the depths. Maybe that's where you are today. Look what he says in verse 2. Lord, hear my prayers. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my prayers. He says, Lord, listen to me. It seems like you're not listening to me. Let your ears, personifies God here, let your ears pay attention to the things I've been asking for. And then he seems to, in verse 3, look back at himself and he, he makes this great statement, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The word mark means to take a ledger like a journal and write it down, phrase by phrase, point by point. He says in verse 3, if you, Lord, would keep a journal of my sins, if you'd write down all my iniquities one after the other and keep a ledger of them, Think about him keeping a ledger of your sins just in the last year, but long since you were born. He says, Lord, if you were to do that, verse 3, who could stand? Nobody could stand there if you were to mark my iniquities, Lord. The point is that nobody could stand in front of God with even one sin, much less a ledger full of your sins. If you understand the Old Testament and what the penalties were for sins, you would have to all agree that we should all be dead by now. If we all lived in the Old Testament, by now we would have been killed. We could not stand in the presence of God and continue in our sins any longer. And today people continue in sin more and more. Have no shame and no guilt. Listen to our old message two weeks ago about how guilt has been done away with in our society. There's no room for guilt anymore. They may think that. The man who believes in God, he's weakened and he's marred by sin and he feels it. He feels the weight of it and he feels the unworthiness of it and he feels the shame of it and he knows that he cannot stand in the presence of God. That's why many of our churches are dumbed down when they don't have the word anymore. They don't preach the word anymore because people won't come living in sin week after week and listen to the word of God. They want nothing to do with it. They know they cannot stand in God's presence with great sin. He says, my sin is so great 
Lord, who could stand if you were to mark and keep track of my iniquities? Look at verse 4. But there is forgiveness with God so that he may be feared. I want you to say that statement with me. But there is forgiveness with God. Let's say it together. Ready? But there is forgiveness with God. It's like he's having this discussion within himself here. The, the singer is. He says, my sin is so great I cannot stand before God. Oh, yeah. But there's forgiveness with God. Forgiveness can be found with God. You see, I've known that before. I've known forgiveness. It says in the end of verse 4, that God may be feared. The fear here shows the cost of forgiveness. Lest we, we try to preach a lot of grace here. We talk about grace often and how God's forgiveness is readily available. And I could not, I, I don't believe I could over-preach forgiveness here on this point. I don't, do not believe I could overstress grace on this point and take any person who would come in here and say, yes, God will forgive you. Any person and say, yes, God will forgive you. No matter how much you've been committing that sin and say, yes, God will forgive you. I would not be wrong. I could not overestimate the, the quality and the quantity of the forgiveness of God. But the fear part in verse 4 shows us that even though the cost for us is not anything to be forgiven, there's still a cost. There's still a price that has to be paid, and the payment is made by God. He paid the price with his son Jesus. And so Jesus paid the price, and so when I come and realize the depths of my sin so great that I cannot stand before God, and then I know the forgiveness of God. There comes upon me a natural fear of God. It's the proof of the cost of that forgiveness. He transitions from looking at his sin in verse 2 and 3 to looking at his, how long he's waited in verse 5 and 6. Look at it in verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits, verse 5. For the Lord. He's saying, from the very depths of my being, I have been praying for something, and I've waited for it, Lord. Uh, Cindy and I will often have conversations, and we'll say things to each other like this. I don't know why God wouldn't answer that prayer. <laughs> why wouldn't? It's, it's a good prayer. It's a, it's a good prayer. Why wouldn't he answer that prayer? I'm, I'm asking for a good thing. I'm asking for a righteous, maybe a right thing. Why wouldn't God answer that prayer? I have waited for the Lord with my soul. He's saying, more than with my heart, more than with my mind, I have prayed for this from the depths of my soul. With all my being, I have asked God to do something, and I have waited, is what he's saying. I have waited, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for the whole life of your child, maybe for the whole endurance of your marriage. You have waited for God to answer this prayer. Why has he not answered it? I've waited for the Lord with my soul. And then he gives you an illustration of how he's waited. In verse 6 he says, My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Here in verse 6 he begins to talk about the watchman over the city. Remember we talked about this, I think, two psalms ago about the watchman. Remember it was a job. A man was in a high tower over the city. They sat there day and night. 
One watchman would have the day shift. Another watchman would have the night shift. And they set up in a high tower watching for enemies to approach, animals to approach. And they were the protector over the city. They were to guard the city. How? By watching and paying attention. If anything was coming, they were to sound the trumpet and let everybody know danger's coming. The watchman was responsible. If he did not do his job and, and danger got to the city without his warning, they would kill the watchman. He had to watch so intently, so be so alert every moment of the day or the night, whatever his session may have been. And verse 6 is talking about the night watchman. He says, My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those, he repeats it, more than those who watch for the morning. So here's the night watchman, and he's, he's watching in the dark out there for dangers over the city. He has the responsibility of the city upon his hands, you could say upon his eyes, to keep alert and stay awake and watch for dangers. And he's getting weary. He's getting sleepy and heavy. I can so familiarize with this. I'm like this. Let me try to drive all night you, and ride with me. Your life is in danger because I'm getting droopy and my eyes are getting weary and I may be sleeping. You may not know it and I may not know it because it's getting longer and heavier. But this is what's going on with the watchman. He says he's waiting for the morning. Look at it. As those who watch for the morning, he's, he's waiting for his session to be over, his, his time of watching to come to an end. Look what it says in verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than, I don't the words more than in your Bible, more than the watchman waits for the morning. He's saying, Lord, I've prayed for something and I have waited for it more than the watchman waits for the morning. With all my soul, more than the watchman. I've waited, Lord, and have not answered my prayers. In verse 5, I don't want to leave out a phrase in verse 5. I go back to it. When he said, my soul waits for the Lord, he says, I do hope in his word. In his word, I do hope. He's still, he's reasoning back and forth with himself. I waited for you, Lord, and you've not done anything. I do hope in your Lord. The word... The word hope is not the American word hope. The American word hope is a wish. It's just, you could say, it's just the same as saying I wish. If you said I, I hope for tomorrow to, to go to town, it would be the same as saying I wish tomorrow I'll get to go to town. It's, it's, a, it's a wish. But the hope of the Bible is not a wish. It's a faith word. It's, it's, it's con, contained with faith of looking at something you cannot see physically, but you can see it spiritually. You cannot touch it tangibly, but you can know its reality spiritually by faith. And so when he says in his word, I do hope, the watchman is seeing something that the physical eye cannot see. Remember, the watchman here is waiting in the dark. He's waiting for the morning. He's in the dark. In the dark, you cannot see physical things. And when you're waiting on the Lord, in order to have hope, you have to see by faith. There's no physical evidence. There's no inclination that what you've been praying for is about to happen or going to happen. There's been no step by step. It's not that it's getting closer to happening. You can't see any physical evidence that it's going to happen, but hope is based on faith. You, you see spiritually that God is answering your prayer and he's going to do something. And then verses 7 and 8, 
the song concludes with a chorus of preaching. I put it in your notes as this preaching because that's what he does. He, it's like he settles this in his mind and then in verse 7 and 8 he preaches to all Israel because it changes from personal in verses 1 through 6 to, to corporate in verses 7 and 8 where he's declaring uh, a statement of truth to the whole nation. Verse 7 he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is mercy and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You see the preaching of it. He says, I'm saying from this day forward, have hope in God. Because you know with the Lord there is mercy. We preached a message some weeks ago about the throne of God. The throne of Jesus was the Ark of the Covenant. That's where Jesus would sit in his chair. That was his throne. And the lid of his throne was called the mercy seat. It's like he wrote mercy on his chair. He's going to name his chair. That's Jesus' chair. That's where he always sits. And he puts his, his name on it. And the name he puts on there is mercy. The mercy seat. Because that's the kind of God he is. That is the character he has. He's a God of mercy. Aren't you glad he's a God of mercy? Aren't you glad he has given you a second chance and a third and a fourth and you've lost count? We grow weary of asking, thinking he must go weary of hearing. <laughs> we go weary of asking for forgiveness and think he must go grow weary of hearing me ask. I feel so repetitive many times. Remember when your children were little, if you still got little ones, you know where I, you're, you're there now where you say no. It seems like thousands of times. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. If you have the little ones, you're weary of saying no. But if you're a Christian, you're, you grow weary of saying, Lord, please forgive me again. Please have mercy on me again. But God does. Because he's a God of mercy. I think if we could see spiritually how many times people come to God's house, come through those doors, feeling so far away from God, saying on the way to the door, I don't feel worthy to walk in your house, O Lord. And then they get in there and experience God's presence like they haven't in some while, maybe through the singing, maybe through the preaching, and they're amazed. How, how am I experiencing this blessing of your presence today, Lord? I'll tell you how. It's because he's a God of mercy. And every time you do that, you must remember he's a God of mercy. It says not only is he a God of mercy, verse 7, but with him is abundant redemption, increased redemption. He has this overflowing redemption. You have to understand the financial terms of redemption is to buy something that was a slave and to buy it and set it free, to purchase it. It's like saying in verse 7 that God is rich in redemption. He has enough money. He has enough of the price paid to redeem you and you and you and you over and over and over again because the price that was paid for your redemption was not the blood of bulls and goats that were sacrificed year after year, but it was the blood of his son Jesus that purchased your redemption. It says in the end of verse 8, to redeem all Israel from all his iniquities. The song concludes with preaching about God's mercy and God's redemption. I want to move into application pretty quickly because I got 
We've got four points of application. I want to start this application by reaffirming what the song says. It said basically two reasons why God has not heard my prayers, and I'm going to declare these as the devil's reasons, because the devil has whispered them to you, and they've gotten inside of your heart and your mind, and then you begin to, to believe them. And so these are two reasons, I would think, that the, the title of the message is, Why Hasn't God Answered My Prayers? And many of us will settle that question in two answers, and either... Lord, you've not answered my prayers because my sin is so great and, and the devil refers you back to some sin you've committed and you think, well, that's, yeah, that's reasonable. That's why God wouldn't answer my prayers because look at me, I'm a wreck. <laughs> look at what I did back there. That's a reasonable explanation why God hasn't answered my prayers. And then the, the second reason the devil would whisper to you why God is not answering your prayers is, look, you've waited this long. You've been waiting so long for God to answer your prayers. He's not going to. What are you waiting on? It's like the devil saying, just move along. And so I want to start by addressing these two reasons that the devil would whisper to you that God's not heard your prayers. The first one is, my sin is so great. We, we read this in verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 3. If, if you, Lord, should mark my iniquities, who could stand? And if you read that and you are a Christian person, a man or a woman who believes in Jesus, you would read that and say, yes, who could stand before you, Lord, if you would keep a ledger of my sins? And, and this is what that would declare about you, that you have a high view of God. You, you put God in a high view. And I want to remind you that whatever it is that you have on your mind today, I hope you have something on your mind that you've been praying for, that you think it would be valid, a valid prayer, a right prayer for God to answer that thing. You, you have something? You would think, I've been praying this for some time, and it seems legitimate to me, at least, that it's a Christian prayer, it's a godly prayer, and it, it seems like something God would answer for me. I want to remind you that if you even think like that, that thought process comes from a high view of God. You have God in a position where you want something that you believe is righteous, and so you know that God must cause it to happen, and so at some point way back there, you begin to pray for that thing and ask God to give it to you one day, and so it's from this very position of a high view of God that you ever prayed this prayer in the first place. Your high view of God is why you started asking God for that thing, whatever yours is, that you're praying for. And it's also that the devil knows that and he uses that and he causes you to look at yourself and say, well, if God were to measure sin, who could stand in front of him? And why would the devil suggest that to you? But because he knows you have a high view of God. And so now what's being suggested to you is God's not going to answer your prayer because you have sinned and you're not worthy of God to answer your prayer. He might answer her prayer if she prayed it or his prayer if he prayed it, but not your prayer because you know what you've been doing. You're not worthy for God to answer your prayer because he's such a high 
and holy God. Not even one sin can be in his presence, but you've got a whole list of sins that can be written down by him. And if they were written down, you would not have the audacity then to go into his presence and say, God, would you do this for me? And so the devil has taken that thing that you believe to be true about God, this high view of God, and now he's using it against you and accusing you and saying, you're not worthy to have your prayers answered then. Why would God answer your prayer? Look at your sins, is what he's saying. But do you remember what it said in verse 4 after verse 3? But there is forgiveness with God. How'd you say it? Let's say it again. But there is forgiveness with God. You're not with me. Come on now. But there is forgiveness with God. The devil is saying, look at your sin. Why would God answer your prayer? But there is forgiveness with God. I want to give a rebuttal to this suggestion by the devil. And, and, and by doing that, I want to say, yes. Let's do look at our sin for just a minute. I'm not about to tell you all mine, and I don't even come close to wanting to hear all yours. <laughs> well, I've told you many times one of the hardest things I do as a pastor is learning about people's sins. It wearies me. It bothers me. It hurts me. But you know, if you're here today, there's a good chance that if you looked at your sin someplace back there and you really saw legitimately how sinful you were before a holy God that you came to a place where you knew you needed to be saved and you said with a broken heart oh Lord would you forgive me of my sins and he did In other words, you prayed a prayer in the depths of your sin as a sinful, wretched sinner bound for hell. You prayed a prayer, and you said, God, would you forgive me of my sins? And if you prayed that prayer, he did forgive you of your sins. You see, God's forgiveness of your sins when you were saved is proof that he's hearing you now. Or whatever it is you're praying for now. The devil's bringing up your sin to say you're not worthy to ask God for that righteous thing. But I'm reminding you that you in that much condition or worse when you ask for salvation and God heard that prayer and he forgave you of your sins. How much more, Romans would say, how much more is he hearing you now? Forgiveness back then at the point of my salvation is proof that he's hearing me now. Personal salvation for my answered prayer back then of forgiveness is proof that God's hearing my prayers now. There's a doctrine being taught here, a biblical doctrine that's being taught. God's answer to our prayers are not based on our character, but his character. The reason God answers our prayers is not because we're good. It's because he's good. 
And you can go to verse 7 and see the proof of this when he says in verse 7 when he's preaching, the Lord is merciful and the Lord is a God of redemption. He's abundant in redemption. These are statements about the character of God. He's not bringing anything up about your character or my character. How is it, God, I can know that you're still going to answer my prayer even though I really messed up back there six months ago or a year ago or whatever it was, maybe last week. Here's how I can know, because God forgave my sin when I asked him to do that. And because his forgiveness is not based on my character, it's based on his character. He is a good and holy God who's merciful and full of redemption. Number two, the second reason the devil would suggest to you that God's not answered your prayer is that you've waited so long. He said this in verse Verse 5, I wait for the Lord with all my soul. Verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning to come. And so the devil would suggest to you that God's not answering your prayer because look how long you've waited. And we all know this. If you've been praying something for a long time and you haven't had an answer yet, it hasn't come to be yet. The longer you wait... What? The more you doubt, right? The longer it's been since you've asked God to do it and he hasn't done it, the more you're subject to doubt. If you're not, then you're a far better man than I am. And so the longer it gets, the more we've waited, the more we doubt if God will ever answer us. Our faith grows weaker in our waiting. Waiting makes us doubt. Waiting makes us tired. So many Christians today are weary, tired. And so the devil uses this weary condition you're in, this diminished faith that you're in, and he twists, he twists your waiting into numerous accusations against God. He'll suggest to you things like this. If God loved you, he would have answered your prayer by now. Look how old you're getting Look how long it's been. If God cared about you, he would have answered your prayer by now. He obviously doesn't care. Doesn't he know how much you're hurting? Doesn't he know how much your heart is broken? Doesn't he know how many times you have wept for this and begged him to do this and he still hasn't done it? He must not care about you. If God was listening to you, he would have answered by now. You have repeated this prayer over and over. For years, you've repeated this prayer. If God cared about you, he would have answered you by now. If God wanted this to happen in your life, it would have happened by now. Look how many years it's been. You've been praying and asking and God still hasn't done it. If he hasn't done it by now, he's surely never going to do it. And even far worse, he may accuse the, the Lord cannot do it. He may say, if God could do it, he would have done it by now. If God could do it, or if God wanted to do it, it would have happened by now. And so what the devil is doing in all these accusations against God is he's making your waiting, or if I could say it this way, the length of your waiting he's making negative. And the longer it has been, the more negative it becomes. 
If you've waited for one year, that's bad. If you've waited for two years, that's real bad. If you've waited for five years, that's real, real bad. If you've waited for 20 years, that's horrible. And surely God doesn't love you, doesn't care about you, is not hearing you, and is never going to do what you've asked him to do. He's making all this time, this length of waiting, more and more negative. And so the devil is suggesting to you, you've waited this long, nothing has happened, just quit waiting. That's his final suggestion to you. Stop it. Anybody of good sense wouldn't wait any longer. You've waited this long. Here's the rebuttal. No. Don't make our waiting negative, you devil. I would suggest to a young person, you've waited this long. You must not stop waiting now. To an elderly person, you've waited this long. You must not stop waiting now. You see, waiting is good. And waiting is holy. Because the reason you started waiting in the first place is because you trusted God and you believed God and you believed that God knows best and so you saw something that you believe that's God's best for me that's what God would want for me and so you begin to ask God to do that for you and you said God you're so good and you're so holy I'm willing to wait for it I believe it's so of you Lord I will wait and wait and wait for it. And in that endeavor, you had a holy trust in God, a sincere confidence in God. You saw him as high and lifted up and sovereign over your life. And you said, Lord, I'll wait as long as I've got to wait. And I would suggest to you today, if you've been zealous in waiting for God for this long, however long it's been, certainly don't stop now. It's not a negative thing that you've waited this long. If we had a microphone up here and had people come up here and testify, I'm sure it would be with tears. Some would say, I've been waiting 10 years for this. And we would all say, then keep on waiting. Some would say in tears, I've been waiting for 15 years for this. Then the congregation would sound out, then keep on waiting, my brother, my sister. Don't stop waiting now. It's like he says more than the watchman is waiting for the morning. He's been waiting all night, that watchman. Doing his job so well all night. And it's 30 minutes till daylight. I got up one morning this week Ronnie, so I could experience this 30 minutes before daylight. I got up and it's dark and I'm waiting for the sun to come up. And I'm thinking now I haven't waited all night just so you know. I didn't stay up all night. I'm just my commitment goes so far. Okay? <laughs> I, I've been asleep all night, but it had been a long night, and now I'm 30 minutes up waiting for the morning to come. And I begin to think, what if I had waited awake all night for eight hours? To stop now would be it wouldn't be intelligent. It would be insane, wouldn't it? I've waited this long. I've got only 30 more minutes for the sun to come up. It would be insane to stop now. I must endure this last segment. I've already waited so long. It's not reason to quit. It's reason to continue. And I waited and finally the sun did come up. And I, I did something you're not supposed to do. I tried to look at it. I tried to look at it. It blinded me. I couldn't see as spots were in my eyes for some time because it was 
so brought this son shocked me how quick it came in those last moments of waiting. If I could say to you today, more than the watchman, he says, I, he says in verse 5, I wait for the Lord more than the watchman waits for morning. My whole soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. You've been praying for this. You've been asking God for this. You've been waiting for this. That's not a reason to stop. That's a reason to continue. This waiting is beneficial to you. It has tried your faith. It has exercised your patience. It has trained you repeatedly to be in submission to God. And it's going to make the blessing of the answer to that prayer all the more precious when the sun comes up. So I say to you today, if you have found reason to ask God for something that's worth waiting for and the Lord sees fit to make you wait then wait with your whole heart wait with all your soul for blessed are they that wait on the Lord he's worth waiting for the fact that you've waited this long is not reason to quit it's reason to continue to wait on the Lord That's my feeble attempt at rebuttaling the devil's lies. Number three in application I take from verse five. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits for the Lord, and in his word I do hope. You need something to put your hope in while you're waiting. If you don't, you'll, you'll, you'll quit. And he says in his word, in God's word, I, I put my hope. The first thing that we see in God's word is Lots of examples of people in the Bible. Bible people who had to wait on the Lord. I'm just going to give you some of those. Abraham and Sarah waited for 25 years for their son Isaac. So long that Sarah began to take measures into her own hands. You know the story. Rebecca waited 20 years to give birth to Jacob and Esau. David waited 15 years to be king. Moses waited 40 years in the desert before God led him back to Egypt to lead Israel out of Egypt. Israel waited 400 years in Egyptian captivity. Israel waited another 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Hannah waited for a long time for a son, and finally God gave her Samuel. If you know this in the New Testament, Elizabeth and Zechariah waited for a child. They could not get pregnant, and then one day God gave him John the Baptist. Ruth waited for a husband. And God gave her Boaz. Joseph was waiting for God to use him. You know what God did? God put him in prison. Joseph had a dream. He said, I'm going to use you greater than all your brothers and sisters. You're going to be used mighty of God. And Joseph wakes up one day and he's in prison. And he waits while he's in prison for God to, to one day deliver him from prison and allow him to save his whole family from the famine. Job waited on God while he was suffering. He lost everything. I mean everything, except his mean wife. The only thing the devil didn't take from him was his bad-mouthed wife who kept saying, curse God and die. Took everything else from him. But in the end, God gave Job back double what he had had before. There's many more examples of why you're not alone in your waiting. There are many biblical characters of people who wait on the Lord. But there's also biblical hope. I take these verses from the exact same word used in our 
chapter 130 of hope down in verse 7. Psalms 31 verse 24. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. All you who hope in the Lord. Psalms 38 verse 15. For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord, my God. In Psalms 42 verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Remember, this is the self-talk. This is what I taught you when I was a coach. How to talk inside your mouth, inside your mind to yourself. And the, the psalmist was saying, why are you so low, man? He's talking to himself. Why are you so cast down? Why are you being so quiet? Hope in God. He's preaching to himself. I'll praise God to the help of my countenance and with my God. He's saying, stop being so beat down and trust God. Believe God. There's also examples, examples of biblical waiting. Psalms chapter 34, verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Psalms 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. And then 2 Peter chapter 2, verses or chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want to uh, use different words in that part where it says the Lord is not slack. It's, it means not slow. He's saying this, the the Lord to the year to the Lord a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And then he's, what he's saying is the Lord is not slow, as some count slowness. Not slow as some understand slowness. It's a biblical promise. He's saying if you said you've waited five years for that, you might call that slow, but some people wouldn't call it slow. Because to, to God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. You've got to count slowness the way God counts slowness. Does that make sense? Your timetable is different than God's, is what he's saying. And not everybody counts slowness the same. God knows what he's doing. If you're going to have hope, you've got to find your hope in God's word. That's why I told my... My family this week, we were together, and I told my family this week, I said, guys, if I die tomorrow, if there's one thing I could get you to do for the rest of your life and it'd make me a happy man, I think it'd be the best thing you could do, just read your Bible. I've told you that many times. Just read your Bible. If you just do that. You say, I've been waiting for this. John, you don't know how long I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this thing. I've been praying for it and praying for it and praying for it. I'm so discouraged right now. I'm so beaten down right now. I'm so in the depths of the ocean of despair right now. What should I do? I, I don't have any hope. You know, read your Bible. Every day. Sometime in your day, read your Bible. You say, well, that's just not me. Baloney. It's not anybody. <laughs> Listen to it on your phone. Listen to it on tape or radio or something. Get God's Word in your ears and in your head and in your life. Every day, you'll be stronger. You'll have more faith. You won't be such a quitter. You won't be so weak and whiny and complaining. Just get God's word in your life. Find hope in God's word. Number four in application. This is the last one. 
dressed in God's timing as the new watchman. Look what he says in verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. He says this. My soul is waiting for God to answer this prayer more than the watchman is waiting for the morning to come. What's he talking about more than the watchman is waiting for the morning to come? The watchman is waiting for the morning to come because he's waiting for the other watchman to come take his place. Remember we talked about the watchman has all this responsibility. He's watching over any dangers that come to protect the city. And if, and if he falls asleep and the city gets attacked, they'll kill him. It's his responsibility. He is the guard who must stay awake and watch. Remember the psalm we had just uh, two weeks ago? It says, the watchman stays awake in vain unless the Lord protects the city. Remember that statement two weeks ago? The watchman can stay awake all night. But if God, God's the one who protects the city, that's what he says. The watchman is saying, I'm waiting for the morning because he's saying, I'm waiting till the new watchman comes in and takes my place in this matter. I'm tired. I'm weary. And he says, the prayer is saying, I'm more tired than that. That dude. <laughs> I've been praying and waiting longer than that watchman has been praying and waiting. But here's what I'm asking you to do. Whatever you've been praying for, and you've been waiting for it so long, you're growing so weary and waiting. The tendency is you're, you're carrying the responsibility of that thing you're praying for. As if you've got to make it happen. In all of your begging and asking God to do it, in all your pleading and crying out to God to do it, whatever this prayer is, at some point in all of that praying and waiting, you begin to let the responsibility fall on your shoulders. And that's where you start to find fault with God and say, say things like, God, why haven't you done it yet? Because it's heavy on my shoulders. God never wanted it to be on your shoulders. That's why you started praying in the first place. He says, bring your load to me. My burden is light. And so when I say rest in God's timing as the new watchman, you need to picture it like this. I've been praying for this, John, for a long time, and I've been waiting on it for a long time, and I'm tired and I'm weary, and I'm telling you today, you're off duty today. There's a new watchman who's taking your place today, and his name is Jesus. He's the one who's going to answer this prayer that you've been praying. He's the one that's going to carry this prayer that you've been praying. He's the one that's going to fulfill this prayer that you've been praying. He's the one that's going to do it in his time when he wants to, with his power. You're off duty now. And there's a new watchman. And God's going to relieve you as the new watchman. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it makes a strong statement about those who wait on the Lord. Listen to it. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Notice in each of these illustrations what it says. They, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. In other words, as you wait on the Lord, there's some sort of a renewal process that happens. Where you get stronger and stronger and stronger 
the longer your waiting endures. Look what it says. They shall mount up with wings like, like eagles. It's like the longer I wait, I started flying around like a little crow or a little dove or something like that. Now I'm flying like an eagle. Now it takes a lot more to knock me out of the sky because I've been waiting so long. I've gotten stronger wings like eagle wings now. It says they'll run and not grow weary. I started out running just a little while and I was getting tired. Now I can go a long while without getting tired. They shall walk and not faint. I started out, I could walk a short distance and not get tired. Now I can walk a long distance and not get tired. What's he talking about there? He's saying the more you wait, there's a process of happen that happens during waiting that ever so often you have to start and turn this matter back over to God. And the more you turn it back over to God, the more you learn how strong God is and how weak you are, and the more you're able to endure the season of waiting. I'll give you another illustration of that. Remember in the New Testament, there's a crippled man who wanted to be healed by Jesus. Remember the story? They, they climb up on top of the roof of the house where Jesus is. Him and his boys. He's crippled. He gets his guys and come up on top of the house and they're going to tear a hole in the roof and, and lower this man down so Jesus can heal him and he can walk. That's commitment. That's some good friends and some commitment. And they come up on the house and they tear a hole in the roof. You imagine being down there just having church, you know, singing or whatever, and stuff starts to fall out of the sky and, and, and it's being made out of mud and straw and they begin to lower a man down. But if you remember the story, what happens when they finally lower him down and he sits on the ground in front of Jesus? You know what Jesus does? Do you remember this? He says, your sins are forgiven. Well, that ain't what they was coming for. <laughs> they weren't even thinking about that. They was coming so the man could be healed and walk. Like they could have, and the Pharisees and Sadducees do this. And they're like, Jesus, can't you see? He's crippled. Who are you that... Forgive his sins today. And Jesus is making the point, he says, which is harder to forgive a man's sins or heal a man's body. And then he heals him and helps him walk away. But the point is that, that when he first came down and Jesus saw him, Jesus saw his greatest problem was not that he couldn't walk. His greatest problem was his sin. And so the first thing Jesus dealt with was his sin. And God dealt with that first. Some of you have been praying for a long time and you think the greatest need you have is the answer to that prayer. But there's a greater need than the answer to that prayer. There's a need of you to learn how to walk with God while you're waiting on Him. There's a need for you to learn how to trust God while you're waiting on Him. There's a song I listened to after I was preparing this illustration and I had my Christian music on and there's a song and it says, Tear the roof off, lower me down. Whatever it takes, get me to Jesus. I never paid attention to that song before. You see, when people are waiting on the Lord to do something, and they're trusting God to do it, and they're praying for a long, long time for God to do it, they want to be near Jesus because being near Jesus keeps them stronger. And they need that. And they would be willing to tear the roof off and have grown men lower them down through the roof if it would get them closer to Jesus. I'm going to tell you, if you don't walk with Jesus, whatever you're waiting on, you won't make it. But if you walk with Jesus, not only will you make it, you'll be strong when you get there. I want to say to you today, based on Psalm 130, God has heard your prayer. His ears have been attentive 
to what you've been crying for. He's, he's seen you that you're in the depths when you cry. And he has heard the prayers that you've prayed. While you're waiting, just walk with Jesus. Walk with him. Would you pray with me? And ask you as we start this invitation, if there's something you've been praying for God to do for a real long time, I'm going to ask you right now to turn that over to Jesus. Just tell him that. Lord, I give that to you. Picture yourself laying it at his feet. You can say that. Lord, I lay this thing at your feet. I can't do it. But I believe you can and you will. Put your confidence in him. To answer that prayer. Father, I know that there are people who listen to this today who are hurting and in the depths of despair who need the answer to, to something they've been crying out to you for a long time. I pray, Father, that you would take those burdens from us. You would be the watchman now. And you would carry these, these prayers to the throne of heaven, to your Father. And you would have him hear these petitions and answer them. For the glory of God. These things we're praying for are big things. I know mine are, Lord. They're big things. So big. It's my heart's desire, Lord. It's my heart's desire. And Lord, I believe it's good things. I believe it's a righteous thing to ask. I don't believe there's even evil intent in asking for it, Lord. It's a, it's a good thing to ask you to do, Lord. And I've been waiting. I, I've been waiting so long, sometimes I try to forget about it. But I can't. It keeps coming back. Lord, I put my trust in you today to answer that long, long-waited prayer that I've been praying. And when you do, when the sun comes up, God help me if I don't give you glory and shout and praise your holy name because you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, Lord. Help us worship you in this song. Set us free from the bondage of responsibility that we got to make this thing happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?